Tetzaveh. If you thought Teruma was uh, not interesting, well, Tetzaveh is more of the same. I know that you don't learn these parashiyot in school, probably for good reason, but over here we're going to learn them because why should we skip them? If the Torah wrote them, for us to understand it. I know it's easy to say, well, it's technical stuff. Nobody knows what we're talking about anyway, so let's just go to some uh, some other things. But I think the uh, analysis of these uh, parashiyot, even if we get it, you know, more or less, especially we have pictures today, basically this parasha is going to talk about the clothes of the Kohanim. Last week was the furniture. This is the clothes. Although the parasha begins with one detail that we didn't talk about last week's parasha, and that's the oil that's needed for the menorah. So let's, now there's something fantastic about this parasha. You're going to notice that, God willing, we'll learn, uh, you know, this week, you're going to notice something missing in the parasha, and that is Moshe Rabbeinu's name. It's the only parasha that from when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, his name is missing. No name of Moshe. The rabbis explain because uh, always this parasha falls out during the week of Zayin Adar. Zayin Adar is the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died. So you can always remember that just by reading the parasha and you see he's missing because Moshe Rabbeinu goes missing always this week. So the parasha that corresponds to his yard site also has his name missing. That's why the pasuk starts Be'ata, and you doesn't say his name. Normally would say Be'dabar Hashem and Moshe Lemor. God spoke to Moshe. Here it just says, Israel command the Jewish people, So the oil that was used for the menorah is called Shemen Zayit Zach. Zach means pure without any sediments. It also says it's Katit. Katit means they would press it. They wouldn't grind it. Because if you grind it, then you're going to get sediments in it. And then it's not clean. So they would press it, and only the first press is kosher for the menorah. So that's, a, that's a, just a drop of oil. So you take the olives, you press it, the first drop that comes out, that's good for the menorah. And you take another batch of oil, uh, grape, uh, grapes, uh, olives, and you press it. The first press is kosher for the menorah. And then whatever comes out after, they use for other stuff. What other stuff are we talking about? Menachot. What does menachot mean? In the Beit HaMikdash used to bring meal offerings on the Mizbeah, flour and oil. So the oil that they used for these meal offerings was from the second press. Now the Pasuk says, Leha'alot ner tamid. The menorah is called ner tamid, the constant ner. Now that she says, uh, don't make a mistake and think that it was lit 24-7. It wasn't. It was no, it was lit from night to the morning. Every night they would light the menorah in the Beit HaMikdash. Uh, don't get mixed up with Hanukkah. Nothing to do with Hanukkah. This is not about the Beit HaMikdash. In the Beit HaMikdash, every night there was a menorah ceremony. The Kohanim lit the menorah, and it would last until the morning. Actually, it says, Me'ereb ad boker. I'll read the Pasuk Alif. Be'ohen mo'ed, and his children would set the menorah up and they would have to put a certain amount of oil. How much oil do they put in the menorah? So that she tells us a half of a log. 
Now, I know you don't know what a log is, uh, but the reason why they picked this amount, half of a log, is because that's the amount of oil that's needed for the longest night of the year. The longest night of the year would be like uh, in this time of year, you know, the winter months, where the nights are very long. Of course, in the summer months, you wouldn't need that much oil because it's very short nights. But they wanted to make a standard amount, and they picked the amount that would last the longest uh, winter night of the year, which is usually in the month of Tevet, which is actually last month, really, when the sunset is very early and the sunrise is very late. So you have like 12-hour nights or even more. You have uh, maybe uh, you know 15-hour nights. So therefore, they would uh, have that... Uh, have that oil. Okay. So now the person comes along and says, Bring Aharon and his children. So Moshe Rabbeinu's brother, I know you know this, Aharon's, Moshe's brother was Aharon. Aharon is the first Kohen in history. And Aharon's children also become Kohanim. Now, one of the ways they inaugurate a Kohen to become a Kohen is they must wear special garments. It's called Bigdeh Kehuna. Now, let's just review the names of the children of Aharon for a second. Nadav, Abihu, Elazar, Itamar. So it's Aharon and his four sons. The Torah says, you shall make big Kodesh, these sacred garments for Aaron and his children. And they were actually glorious clothes. They were to bring, you know, respect and honor to the Kohanim. Now we're going to talk about these clothes. Now, it would be easy if you tell me it was a shirt, a tie, a sweater, you know, a jacket, an overcoat, and a uh, and a hat, but they're a little more, uh, you know, a little more uh, exquisite. Who had to make these clothes? Obviously, artisans or uh, you know, tailors or you know, people that are good at you know, weaving and stitching that have wisdom. Again, that she says that. Uh, in order for the Kohen to be holy, he has to have the bigadim, he has to have the clothes on. The illa bigadim. Okay, now the main uh, entree of tonight's class, we need to just go and explain the garments. So let's go one at a time. Hoshin. That's the first garment. Okay, anybody know what a hoshin is? Breastplate. Very good. That would be the breastplate. Now, I'll show you the breastplate over here. That's this. Did you see it? Yeah. Let me just explain it to you. Now, now that you see it, obviously it's a breastplate. He wore it over here. And what was on it? 12 stones. So I was going to tell you the colors of the stones. And it's going to tell you that each stone represented one of the tribes of Israel. And it was on this breastplate that uh, whenever there was a question that would be asked, let's say, to the Kohen, they would ask the Kohen and he would refer it to the breastplate and then the letters on the breastplate would start to light up. So it was like a digital item. 
Now, even though there was no batteries in it, it wasn't a, you know, a electrical item, but it's a miraculous item. So again, he wore this on his, on his chest over here. That's called the Hoshin. Let's go to the next item. Uh, the next item is Hoshin the Ephod. Okay, anybody know what the Ephod is? Apron. A rope. Right, the apron is correct. So now let's discuss the apron. This is an apron. I'll show it to you over here. This is the apron. You tie it from behind. You want to see the whole picture of the apron? It's this. See the Kohen's wearing it? So basically, it's like a um, it's like a cape. It's not a cape, maybe that's the wrong word. It's an apron, that's the right word. You tie it from behind. Sorry, you tie it in the front and it covers the back of the of the Kohen. In the front, it's open. You notice this is called the ephod. I want to tell you Hadush on this in a second. See, see the picture of it? It covers his back. And you tie it from the front. So, how do you understand what I'm talking about? It doesn't have top. No, it's open. You see, it's open. It's open. Mm -hmm. Puts the breastplate over it. The, bre the breastplate covers the front that's open. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you a big Hadushin Rashi over here, which is a very, very strange thing that Rashi says. Rashi over here. Rashiya Kadosh, we say, is trying to explain to us the ephod. So he says, I really don't know what it is. I didn't hear too much about it. He says, but my heart tells me, that's the way he starts. He says, Libi Omer, my heart tells me that it's this. Then he starts explaining this apron that it's covering the back of the Kohen. It goes, you know, from this whole waist. And then he goes around and he talks. Then he says, he said, it's like the uh, princesses that wear this type of garment when they're riding on their horses. Now, very strange for Nashi to reference ladies, you know, these aristocrat ladies, that when they ride on their horses, they wear this type of uh, you know, belt in the front with like an apron in the back. You wouldn't expect Nashi to bring, you know, ladies uh, wearing something as a source. You wouldn't expect Nashi to be looking at ladies uh, at all, that he wouldn't even know what they were wearing, that he could reference it. So the rabbis say something unbelievable, that one day Nashi was walking in Europe, he lived in uh, Troy in France, and all of a sudden, one of these ladies, where, you know, on the horses, passed by him, and he happened to see it. So that she said his eyes were so pure, he can't imagine why Hashem would have brought this in front of him. He said it must be that Hashem's bringing it in order to teach him something. So therefore he came to the conclusion that that must be what the ephod looked like. And therefore Hashem wanted to give him an image of the ephod. And that's why that she brings it down. He says, I saw it. He says, don't think I was looking at the, uh, at the aristocratic lady. But Hashem wrote it to me in order that I can understand Torah, in order to understand the, uh, the effort. The next thing is called the Me'il. Now, what's the Me'il? A rope. Like a coat, exactly. It's a coat. 
you see, you can see it over here. It's like it's like a tunic that he's wearing a coat. This is the me'il. It's just it's around his neck. It's got, uh, over his shirt. The breastplate is over the me'il. It's basically like a, uh, you know, a coat that he's wearing. It covers his uh, covers his body. And now you have a coat. We'll discuss the coat at length because there's some more details that we have to learn about it. And also, besides the coat, you have ketonet teshbets. Ketonet teshbets is over here. You see, like on the shoulders, you have like stones and settings. That was like holding the straps. You know, how, how do you hold the straps of the ephod? It's like it was like suspenders or overalls. So therefore, you have the you have these. Uh, uh, settings on top of the shoulders and in the settings there's a stone and they would have like um, these uh, 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 ropes and the ropes would attach to the uh, strings to, 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 to the stones in order to hold his uh, his garments up so that was the ketonet and that's the that's the tashbis uh, mitznefet well mitznefet is easy mitznefet is the hat see the hat that's like a turban that the kohen wore and then the last thing is you have mitznefet ve'abnet. Now the abnet is the belt. He did, he did. He did. We're going to talk about that as well. The abnet is like a um, a belt over the uh, over the ketonet, over the uh, over the over the meir. Uh, we have a picture of the belt. You know what about this? We'll have to explain about this. Okay. Here you see it. Maybe, maybe you have a picture over here. Now it says, And it was made up of all these uh, you know, materials. It was made out of gold, and there was blue, and there was purples. And there's tolacheni, uh, which is a crimson, and there's also uh, lin. So that was the different types of uh, materials that were used. Now the pasuk says ephod. Now we go back to one of the garments that we started with, the ephod. The ephod, like we said, is the is the breast, the breastplate. It was the no, it's the apron, the apron. So it says, how do you make it? Zahav, some gold, techelit, argaman, so you have two. How is this going to hang? This is a breastplate. That's got to hang on Aaron's chest. It doesn't have Velcro. So how's this thing going to hang on Aaron's chest? So you need to have two straps on top. And the straps had these uh, ropes. And they would attach it to his, um, you know, to his... Um, His shoulders, like you see over here, and they would clip it in. So therefore, it would hang from his shoulders. So that's what it means when it says, mm-hmm. take two stones. The stones were called Abne Shoham. 
and they would write the names of the Jewish people on these stones. What does it mean, the Jewish people? They would write the names of the of the tribes. I'll tell you where that is. It says, uh, let's see, that Here. Yeah, so that she says over here uh, that after they would fix, what, I'll show you the best picture, by the way. Here's the best picture that we have. It's over here. This is a front, a front picture. This is the best picture. You see, he has this breastplate on, and the breastplate is being held by these strings over here. When the strings have these stones that are by his shoulders on both sides, and on these stones, it has the names of the tribes as well. So on these two stones over here. That's basically the picture that's what I was trying to convey to you over here. Now, this is, again, this is only the high priest wears this item. We're going to learn that there's different garments that some only the Kohen Gadol wears and some only the minor Kohen. So this is an item that the Kohen Gadol was, a special, uh, special item. Now, hey, by the way, you, you, you see the coat? The front, this is the Me'il he's wearing. If you look at the bottom of the Me'il, you see these little tassels. You see his feet? You see the Kohen Gadol's feet? His nice mm -hmm. feet. See those feet? Okay, now, above his feet, you have these, like, tassels that are hanging off the, uh, off the coat. It's very, very significant. We're going to learn about those tassels in a minute. They made noise. They were like um, bells. So anytime he would walk, you would hear the Kohen jingling. The rabbis learned from over here that anytime a person comes into a room, you should announce yourself. Just like the Kohen would always announce himself because those bells would always ring. You shouldn't go into a, a room uh, unannounced. And mm -hmm. the Torah comes along and says that besides the two stones that they had on top, Now, here's the unbelievable part. So it says, They put these two stones on the, on the, uh, on the, on the shoulders of the Kohen, and he would carry these uh, stones on his shoulders. Fine. And they were in a setting. Fine, that's, and there were special stones that she says, and they, the names of the tribes were written on these stones in the order of their birth. So you have on one stone, it says, Reuven Shimon, Nevi Yehuda, Dan Naftali, that's six tribes. And on the second stone, you have the second six tribes, Gad, Asher, Yesachar, Zevulun, Yosef, and Benjamin. So that's the order of, um, of the tribes. Now, Rashid tells us an interesting fact. Each one of this six tribes, he says, is 25 letters. Okay, let's see. Let's count them. By the way, I'm going to count it. But she says it's 25 letters. Let's see. Leuven, one, two, three, four, five. Shimon, 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Levi, 11, 12, 13. Yehuda, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Dan, 19, 20. Naphtali, 21, 22, 23, 25. Yeah, the six tribes. Meuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Dan, Naphtali is 25 letters. And then on the second stone, it had the other six. God, Asher, Yisachaz, Dun, Yosef, Benyamin. God is two letters. Asher is three letters. That's five. Yisachar, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Five, that's ten letters. Zebunun is one, two, three, four. So that's 14. Yosef is one, two, three, four. So that's 18. And Benyamin, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's five. Yisachar is five, so that's 19. And then Benyamin is six. So there you go, 25. It's unbelievable. Must must be uh, must be significant why you had 25 letters on each one of these stones. I wonder if anybody has a good reason for that. I, I don't. But it's interesting to know. That means the tribes all together, their names are 50 letters. You know, 50, we talked about it last week with the menorah. Uh, 50 is interesting numbers. Yeah, 25 and 25. Anything, uh, Sandra? No? All right. Stay tuned. I'll have to look on the look in the books. Why Hashem wanted it to be that way. But she goes out of his way to tell us that. 25 letters and 25 letters. No? Just as she just tells us as it is. Okay. That means I have some homework uh, to do. Okay. That's uh, the point. So at least we have now an understanding of, again, the breastplate, the straps that attach it to the stones that are over here. The stones have the tribe's names, six and six, and the breastplate. And we didn't discuss what the breastplate has over there. That's going to be Bezat Hashem uh, tomorrow, night's, uh, tomorrow night's discussion. It's actually will be uh, actually be fascinating, Bezat Hashem. I wish I could get a, a book. Tomorrow night, we really need a book with the colors of the stones, because it's all different colors. This book over here doesn't have it. Maybe I'll be in deal tomorrow night. Maybe they have something over there that's a little... Yeah, the art school has a, a beautiful... Uh, well, I have it in my office in deal. It's a beautiful... They, uh, my Karacha has colors. I'll, I'll show it to you in the morning. Okay. Yeah, no, I have it in deal in, in the art scroll book that I use in my office. has a beautiful picture. So stay tuned tomorrow night. Present the Shem. Uh, we'll pick it over. We'll pick it up uh, over here. All right, there you go. And uh, we wish all our members a beautiful night. And there's not hope to pick this up. We're learning for the Fuashilema Hayasara Batsumha. And we're in our deal studios tonight. Lawrence Avenue Synagogue. We do have a live audience, but of Hashem in front of us. We're learning uh, the parasha that talks about the clothes of the Kohanim. It's called Bigdeh Kehuna. And last night we talked about, I'm reviewing the ephod. I want you to uh, realize that the ephod, I got a better picture for you. I was working all day long to find these pictures. This is the ephod right over here. It's a beautiful picture of it. Just so you see how it is. It's like an apron that 
It goes around the back of the Kohen. It ties over here in the front. It has these straps, like these suspender straps on top. That's called the um, uh, that attaches the efot to his shoulders. We learned last night that there's two stones that are on top of the shoulders of the Kohen. And we learned also last night that on these two stones are engraved the names of the 12 tribes. Six on one stone and six on the other stone. The way that she told us 25 letters on one and 25 letters on the other, a total of 50 letters. So this is the, this is the effort, look how beautiful it is. And if you wanna see something else, you'll see that this is the, the mitznefet, this is the hat. If you can see it closer, this is the hat of the Kohen Gadol. Now, ironically, it's a white hat. <laughs> see that? They didn't have black hats in those days. They, they used to wear white hats, the Kohen. And anyway, you have also, and that's the discussion that we're going to talk about tonight, the breastplate. And this is called the Hoshin. And if you want to see a better picture of this breastplate over here, I'll just show it to you where they've highlighted. You see it right over here. This is the, uh, the stones. And that's what we're going to learn about tonight. So let's go to the pistol key. Let's go to Pasuk. Uh, we're going to open up Parashat And we're going to learn... Pasuk Tet Vav, it's Pasuk 15. Ve'asita Hoshin Mishpat. Rabbi, do we find out why there's 15 letters on each side? 25 and 25? 25, 25. Beautiful. I'm still looking, I'm still searching. Still okay. searching. It's actually based on a piece of Talmud in Masechet Sota. So I located the source, but now we got to try to unravel the, the secret of it. So stay tuned, but good, uh, good memory. So now it says you make a Hoshin Mishpat. This is the, the breastplate. Now that she comes along and right away tells us why is it called Hoshin, the breastplate of judgment? I mean, it's a piece, it's a garment. You're wearing it. I mean, since, since when is a garment referred to as a judgment of some sort? So that she reminds us that the clothes of the Kohen Gadol Besides being for decorative purposes, people wear clothes to, you know, for uh, fashion and whatever it, the purpose is, for respect. But the clothes of the Kohen Gadol had intrinsic Kedushah value that it atoned for certain sins. It's an amazing thing. The mere fact that the Kohen was wearing these garments, it had uh, atoning factors. And as she says, for example, one of the things that the Hoshin atones for is perversion in the justice system. That if, let's say, a judge perverted justice and came out with the wrong conclusion and there was um, uh, a mistake, so he needs tikkun. So the tikkun was the Kohen wearing this Hoshin Mishpat. Another explanation is, is that the um, the Hoshin Mishpat actually 
would make rulings. It itself would give rulings. Now, what is it? How can a garment give rulings? So we're going to learn something fascinating. If you remember, the Hoshin had 12 stones. On the 12 stones was written all the names of the tribes. Each stone had a name of a tribe on it. 12 tribes. And also it had the names of the Avot. Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. It also had the letters Shivte Yeshurun. Tribes of Israel. Now, with all those words between the 12 tribes, between Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and Shifti Yeshurun, that is all the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are in all those words. So basically, you have the full Scrabble board prepared. And now, when you would ask the Kohen a question, for whatever it may be, uh, a question that needed a decisive answer, you would pose the question to the Kohen when he was wearing his breastplate, and miraculously, the letters of the answer would start to flash. So it was actually a digital uh, garment. And then the Kohen would have to decipher based on the letters that were flashing, and then he would tell the, the questioner the answer to his question. So therefore, that's why it's called Hoshin Mishpat, because it was a decisor. It gave uh, conclusive rulings. I'll just give you an example, a famous one. There's a famous story of Hannah. Hannah was a barren woman and she went to the Mishkan in Hattam, which was in Shiloh. You can go visit Shiloh today in Israel. And she was praying. She was praying to God. The ministering Kohen at the time was a fellow called Eli. The Towel family comes directly from Eli Kohen. They always remind us of it when they go up to the Torah. And Eli saw this distraught woman that was praying, and he misunderstood her. He thought that she was drunk, just the way she was acting. She looked like very disoriented, but she really wasn't. So he already concluded she's a drunkard. So he approaches her and says, when are you going to sober up? You're in the temple over here. So she turns to Eli and says, I see you're not a master. You don't know how to read the breastplate. Why would happen? Eli saw Hannah and saw the breastplate and he saw the letters Shin, Chaf, Resh, He. Now, those letters spell the Hebrew word shikorah, which means a drunkard. So he looked at the letters, and he said, she must be drunk. Hannah said that you don't know how to play boggle because you read the word wrong. You got the right letters, but you did not unscramble them correctly. The word shikorah, if you scramble it differently, can also be read kesara. She's like Sarah Emenu. She's a barren woman. And therefore, the Kohen has his own responsibility to try to decipher the letters. And it's not always easy. In that case, Eli deciphered them wrong. Or some say, instead of Shikura, he should have read it Keshera. She's a kosher woman. Either way, you see that the, um, 
Choshen Mishpat is a decisor. Sometimes, for example, when the Jews wanted to go out to war, so they would have to ask the Kohen, should we go out to war or not? Are we going to win? Which tribe should lead us? And the again, the Hoshin would give a decisive ruling. So the Pasu comes along and says that you make this Hoshin Mishpat from five different fabrics. It's Zahab, Techet, Argaman, Tolat Shani, Shesh Mozad, Rabua Yekaful, Zeret, Rochbo. Now, what happens is, is that the Hoshin, as you'll see, I'll show you the picture because it's the easiest way to show it to you, is it has folds. It's like a flap. You see, you're able to open it up. It has like a back to it. And it's important to know that something is going to be inserted in between the folds. We're going to discuss that item in a moment, what they inserted, which actually would activate the Hoshin and make it operational. And the Torah comes and tells us that there were 12 stones. Now, the Torah tells us the names of the stones the stones were basically in four rows of three. So we read, four rows of stone. Tur, the first row, was Odem, Pitda, Ubareket. Now, I'm not an expert in stones, but Odem is obviously a red stone. So maybe that's like a, uh, a ruby. That's the red stone. And then Pitda. Pitda looks like, I guess that's like a greenish stone. Who knows stones? What's a green stone? Emerald. Emerald. Very good. And then the other one is Bareket. Bareket looks like a it's like a pinkish stone. Okay. And then the next row it says is Nofech, Sapir, and Yahalom. Well, Nofech is like a, a blue stone. Amethyst, maybe. Sapphire. Sapphire is correct. And Yahalom might be is like, what is Yahalom? Clear. Diamond. Citrine. Diamond. Oh, citrine? Citrine, you say yellow, no? No, not yellow. It looks like, no, yellow's downstairs. This more okay. looks like uh, maybe diamond, like, like, yeah, long. So just oh, there. Yeah. And then you have on the third row, Leshem Shebo Ve'achlama. So Leshem is like a, I don't know, purple stone. Amethyst. Amethyst. Okay, Amethyst. Shebo. I don't know what Shebo is, what color. That's like a small turquoise. Turquoise, turquoise maybe. Topaz. Oh, sorry. Oh, turquoise is more like... Uh... Bluish. You got the cheat sheet. No, oh, you got it? I got the cheat sheet. Tell me. I want to win. Okay, turquoise. And what's the other one? Ahlama? Is that smoky? Crystal. Okay, the crystal. Oh, okay, sorry. Crystal. And then you have the last row is Tarshish, Shoham, and Yashefeh. So Tarshish is the yellow stone. 
That's citrine. What do they call that out? Crystallite. Crystallite. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. No, 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 no on this. And then you have, <laughs> then you have shoham. Onyx. Onyx. That's oh, that's black. like a black. Yes, that's the black one exactly. And then yashpeh is jasper. Jasper. Okay. Listen, all these stones. Were perfect stones actually they had to be you know very shiny and everything and each one of these stones has a different uh power if anybody's interested um there's a rabbi called rabbenu bahia uh, it's a different commentary and he explains the benefits of all of these stones and what they are you know beneficial for for example, uh, one one we know is the uh, is the ruby. If a lady is pregnant, it's good for her to wear rubies, yeah. uh, because the ruby keeps the baby in. Protects the segula against miscarriages, so it holds the babies. A ruby ring or an earring or just to hold the stone, it's a good segula. And there was once a lady that accepted that and she was wearing it. And she was overdue, and the rabbi said, okay, take off the ring already. And when she took off the ruby, and she, she went into labor, because now she doesn't have the thing that's holding it back. So these are stones that have definite uh, qualities to them. But for this, they were presented on the uh, on the Kohen. And now the Pasuk says, the Ha'avanin, regarding the stones, Tiyin al shemot b'nei Yisrael. So like we said, uh, each stone had the name of a tribe. So the first stone had the Uven's name on it. The second stone, Shimon. And third stone, Nevi, in, uh, in, in order. Shtem Esre al Shemotam, 12 their names. Petuche Chotam. Petuche Chotam means they were uh, engraved. Ish al Shemot. You know, each one with his name. Good. Now, how are you going to keep this breastplate hanging on the chest of the Kohen? You need straps. So the next person says, So, Shalshirot Gavrut is uh, like Shurshe, is like straps or, or uh, ropes, strings like that. It looks like root, roots or ropes, exactly. That would be the better word. And that's going to hold the Hoshin uh, from, from falling over there. And it says Gavlut. Uh, Gavlut means that they're going to be fixed in stone. What's going to keep these straps? they got to, they got to hang on to something. So I'll show you the picture again. Like a link. Like a what? Like a link or something. Yeah, chain link. So it's really like this. You see the Kohen, when he's wearing this breastplate, you see it's got these two straps on the sides, and it has these two fixed, uh, like, stones over here on both sides, and they link the straps to these stones, and that's how it, uh, that's how it basically stays on his shoulders. Okay, that, that's... Uh, Yeah, you see, there's rings over here, actually. If you see the rings, there's two rings on the top. And the rings, they would put these straps in, and the straps would go over his shoulders, and that's how I would hold it. 
again, I'm, I'm well aware most people skip this stuff and they don't pay attention, but I don't feel, think it's right that we should just skip over a part of the Torah. Hashem gave it to us. You know, we got to make a best effort just to try to read it. And we get the zikhut for learning these uh, parts of the Torah. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I thank you. So that's the tabaot that we said, the rings. That's the tabaot that I just showed you, the two rings on the ends. And you will place the two ropes through the two rings. Like we said, on the ends of the hoshim. And uh, at the end of the ropes, then you play the two stones. That's the stones we learned about last night with the 12 tribes. And you will place it on the shoulders of the ephod, which was the apron, towards the front. Okay, and uh, let's just see uh, if there's anything that we have uh, Rashi over here. Rashi tells us, one to the right, one to the left. Uh, and you place the ropes through it. Uh, then as she says, um, right, you put the two stones on the side. So all, all, all is explicit, like we said. Now the person comes along and concludes. And you will weave the portion with the with the rings or put the rope through it until It's in a rope that's made out of a blue string. Now we have an issue of not only holding the the effort on the kohen, but to make sure that the portion itself doesn't move because it could swing back and forth. You have to make sure that it stays in place. So how do you make sure that it stays in place? So you'll see that they actually um, they fixed it here. They fixed it from the top and on the bottom. So basically, it stood in place on his uh, on his heart. So what, they tie it? Yep, it was tied. It was tied with these ropes over here, basically. Now, the only mm -hmm. question is, if you noticed, and this is a question that we're going to have to figure out, we didn't discuss what the Kohen wears underneath. We only discussed last night the outer garments. Maybe he's the, the coat. It, right. And he's, what the meil. The meil. And all. He has that pants on. So we didn't discuss the Mechnasai. That, for some reason, was not, uh, was not mentioned. So we're going to have to wait until the Torah is going to mention the uh, underclothes of the Gregorian. He did wear a shirt, and he didn't wear Mechnasai. But for some reason, the Torah yet did not uh, reveal that to us. Now, let's just finish up over here. He carried the names of B'nai Yisrael. On this breastplate, Alibo on his heart. Now, beautiful explanation over here. What merit does the Kohen Aharon have to get this beautiful breastplate on his heart that God communicates to him through this apparatus? So if you remember, we learned that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down to Egypt to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, 
Moshe was concerned that he didn't want to offend his older brother. His older brother, I don't know, was three years his senior. And what did God say? Not only is Aaron not going to be offended, but he's going to see you his heart is going to be happy. Happy. So God rewarded Aaron his pure heart that was happy for his brother's success. God says, I am going to communicate to the people through your heart. That's why his pure heart. So you, you can't put Urim Betum in this question on anybody. It works only if you have a good heart. A good heart. That only that that you can't buy in, in, in a store. That Aharon had to earn it with his good with his good feeling. Rabbi, is that is that the reason why it didn't work in the second temple? Quite possible. No, no. I'm going to tell you why now it didn't work. I'm going to tell you right now why it didn't work. Good question. So it says, and this is the big pasuk of the night. Now, how are you going to get the Hoshim Mishpat to be operational? How do you activate this thing to be digital? Now, it didn't work with Wi-Fi. Yeah, the queen didn't walk into the, to the bed to Magdash and have to enter the Wi-Fi code like, like we walk into the hotel. The guy walks into the hotel and says, sir, you know, uh, we have your room. He says, forget about the room. Just give me the Wi-Fi. He came out to it. Oh, he wants the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so when it, when it came to this, it didn't work with Wi-Fi. It worked with a, a certain sure. measure called Urim Vetumim. Now let's get this good. What is Urim Vetumim? Literally means Urim lights, the lights, and the Tumim, the complete. But as he tells us that these were special names of God that we don't know, but they were written on a parchment, and they wow. placed that parchment in between the folds of the Hoshim. Wow. Was that holy wow. name of God that activated the Maybe it's like Hoshin. a code. It was a code, exactly. Okay. That was a code. Now, to, to the fellow that asked the question, what about in the second temple? So that she points out to us that in the second temple, there was the breastplate. However, because uh, the queen has to wear the breastplate, but there was no Urim Betumim. Because as we learned, the Quranim were corrupt in those days, a lot of them, and they didn't have that special activation. So it really didn't work. The queen would wear it, but wasn't functioning like we learned tonight in the class. So that's the Urim Vitumim, a special item. So if somebody asks you, what makes the Hoshin operational? You tell them the Urim Vitumim. Now, we really can't tell you what was written on it because, again, we don't know, but it says the end, the last pasuk of the night, Venatata ila Hoshin Amishpat, and you will place into the Hoshin ita Urim Vitatumim. That you are live Aharon, and it will be on the heart of Aharon. The Bo'ol, if that Hashem, when he comes in front of Hashem, then Asa Aharon the Mishpat bnei Yisrael al libo lefnei Hashem tamid, and he would wear it. He would oh, wear it constantly. And as we learned, that it atoned also for sins that were done in the court where they made a mistake in judgment, wow. and also it would give conclusive answers to the questions of bnei Yisrael. So that's a, a a beauty item. Now tomorrow night, stay tuned. Actually, tomorrow night, we're going to learn about the Mi'il. We're going to learn about the, uh, the coats. So so maybe, maybe it's like what the rabbis wear, the big uh, cantors wear. Maybe that's what they wore. You know? I mean, the coat, you mean? Yeah, yeah. but this, this was actually uh, it was actually a blue coat. Oh, it had maybe bells on the bottom. I, I, don't know where you, I, I don't know where you pray, 
but maybe uh, <laughs> maybe Hazan wears that, but that's an exclusive coat. You have the coat and you have the bells on the bottom. Okay, we'll stop well, over here. We are in the middle of talking about the Big Kihuna, the Begadim of the Kohen Gadol. So we're on Perek Chaphet Pasuk Lamed Aleph Shilishi. Basug writes, And you should make for the Kohen Gadol a me'il. Me'il is a, a robe for the ephod, which is purely of turquoise wool. Now, even though this was a, a, a garment by itself, it calls it me'il ephod, the robe of the ephod, because the ephod, which was like the apron, would wrap around on the bottom of the like a like a, a, around the 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 robe. Now this robe was totally of turquoise wool. It can't have any other wool except for turquoise wool. The haya and the neck where, where the kohen would the kohen would stick his neck in, the neck hole would be doubled over in the inside. Meaning, figure like my collar. Again, I don't have a book to show. I wish I had a book. But it was like folded in the inside. Um, so it was folded inwards. And um, it should be like a border. It was like a border around. Since it was folded inside, so it was like a border around. Um, like a weaver. Not like, so Rashi points out, it wasn't sewn. It was doubled over, but it wasn't sewn inside. It was actually weaved, the, the weaving process, weaved it together in its original form, that it was weaved in words. Like of almost like a coat of on like a coat of armor. Just like a coat of armor in the olden days when they used to put on armor. So the the, the, the metal was doubled over in the inside around the neck. So that's how this effort, that's how this um that's how this robe was. You cannot rip it. We learned from here there's a special avera that she points out. There's a special avera if the to make sure that the the robe, the the um the robe is not allowed, the me'il cannot rip. The asita al and you should make on its hem the monetechelet, a pomegranate made out of wool, like in the shape of a pomegranate, made out of blue wool, the argaman and purple wool, the tolachani and red wool. Al shulal saviv. It should go around the, the hem. saviv. Also, they should also be in it. On the bottom of this, again, this blue robe, there was these colorful pomegranates and it also had uh, uh, bells, golden bells. So the way it was set up was there was a bell with, again, as she points out, it wasn't just a bell, just the shape of a bell, but it was actually a, a, a real golden bell with a ringer inside. And it was right next to it was a pomegranate. Again, right next to the pomegranate was a bell. Then next to it was a pomegranate. And would go around the whole, um, the, the, uh, would go around the whole, the hem of the of the robe. 
Now, no, just to no? see how this thing looked, again, just to go back outside, how it looked. So it was this blue, completely blue turquoise robe. It was doubled over from the inside, like a collar, but going inward. It was actually weaved inward. And on the bottom, there was colorful pomegranates. Mixed in were golden bells with the ringers inside them. And it should be, this should be an Aharon when he goes to serve. And you should hear the, the sound. When he would walk into the Beit HaMikdash, you should hear the sound with these bells and the pomegranates. And when he would leave, you'd also hear the sound. And he should not die. So again, she learns out from here uh, that not only that we see, what does that mean? He will not die. Meaning that if the Chasha Shalom at Kohen, Gadol goes into the Beit HaMikdash without these garments, God forbid the, the punishment could be death from heaven. So that is this, that is the me'il that we just discussed. Now we're going to talk about another keli, another garment, which is called the seats. The seats was the, the golden plate, like the crown, almost like a, a golden plate that went around the forehead of the Kohen Gadol. And um, uh, there, wow, he has the picture. We have the picture of the seats. So again, we're going to read the Pesukim. It was exactly like that. Very good. We have a picture book. So now, the Asita seat Zahab Tahot, and you should make a seat, which this uh, uh, golden plate, purely of gold. And on it, you should engrave the words, an engravement of Kodesh Hashem. Again, Rashi points out that this seat was actually two fingers, two finger breadths wide. That's how wide it was. And would go over the forehead of the Kohen Gadol. And you should put on it um, strings of turquoise wool. And it would go, these, these strings would go on the mitznefet, which is the hat. It should be opposite the mitznefet, meaning it should be on the forehead. Now, Rashi points out um, the way the seats would work was that there was, again, a, a plate, as we saw in the picture. It was fully of gold, and it was engraved Kodesh Hashem. There was three part. There were six strings in three different spots, so two strings in each spot. There was two techelet, uh, 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 light blue um, turquoise strings, on the on each side of the of the of, of this plate, and it had two strings on the top. And the way it would work was it was it was on the Kohen's forehead, and it would wrap around. Again, let's see the picture again. It would wrap around again from the top, the two strings on the top, and the two strings on the side. It would all wrap around, and it would tie in the back on the back of his neck. And that's how he would wear it. Now, he would wear this, the Rashi points out that he would also wear the this seats um, a little lower, meaning even though he wore a hat, but there was a little space for his hair in between the plate and the hat where the Kohen Gadol would actually rest his tefillin on there. So so basically the Kohen had his breastplate, that the, the breastplate, the, the plate, the, 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 the golden plate around his forehead. He had his tefillin right here, and then he had his hat over here, and the strings of wool, the strings would go around it, two, both, one on each side and one over the top. See the, see the tefillin right there? 
Yeah, right there. Ah, right here. You see the tefillin right there. There's one right there. Right in the middle, there's a tefillin. And those are the two strings, and the strings going inside. Very good. Okay, let's see the next pasuk. Vehaya al metach aharon, and should be on the far of aharon. Venasa aharon et avona kedoshim ashid yatishu bnei Yisrael l'chol matanot kotshehem, and it should be an atonement when when he should wear it. It should be um, forgiveness for a sin regarding all the sacrifices that were brought impurely, right? Rashi points out that these, any, this, the fact that Aharon had this thing on him, the King Gadol had this thing on him, it would atone for the, all of the sacrifices or the blood and the fat that were if mistakenly brought impure, it would atone for that. And it would be resting on his, on his forehead always. To bring them favor, so it would always be resting. This thing would always be on Aaron or the Quangalos forehead to bring favor for them in front of Hashem. Now, Rashi points out that what does that mean? It was always on on Aaron. That's not true. Aaron didn't go to sleep, right? He didn't go to the bathroom with with God forbid this thing on him. Rather, what does it mean? It means so um, Rashi learns out there's a machloket in the Gemara. The Gemara has two two um, 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 opinions on what this means that it was always on his. Either it means that it would atone, it would always atone for B'nai Yisrael, even when it wasn't on, even if Aaron or the Quangadol was not wearing this seats. The fact that it was just lying there, even if it wasn't actually on Aaron, it would still atone for the sins and regarding these sacrifices. Or, according to the other opinion, that no, in order to, for it to atone, he has to have it worn on him. Rather, rather, what does it say? It should always be on him. It means that Aharon should always have concentration. He never should lose. Should not have hesechadat. Should never lose um, um, focus that he's wearing this special crown of Hashem on him. Now we 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 write the we read the next pasuk, which is the last of the kelim of the, the last of the begadim of the kohen gadol. And you should make a, a linen tunic, like a linen shirt of box with a box-like knit. What does that mean? That means that again, this shirt was actually under the was actually on the Kohangadol skin. It was under the robe, and it was purely out of linen, and it had like a box. I don't know if you have a picture of it, but it, we had it was like a box, um, a box type knit. Uh, no picture. And you should also make a hat of linen. And you should make a sesh of, again, of embroidery work. And next, we have the next pasuk. Already starts talking about the, the Aaron's children, meaning the regular kwanim, what they wore in the Bet Mikdash. Sat Hashem should be a refuah shalema for we're learning Parashat Tetzaveh. I'm going to start tonight in chapter 29, right from the beginning of chapter 29. So we basically went through all the begadim, all the garments when Kwanim had to wear. Now we talk about the actual inauguration ceremony. It was a uh, 
a, a, a certain things had to happen at the ceremony in order to make the Kohanim officially Kohanim. So it says, And this is what has to be done uh, to the Kohanim in order to become sanctified. So number one, So you need to take a a par. Par is a uh, a bull. It's an animal. Now the reason why you have to take this animal is this is a korban. It's in order to atone for the sin of the golden calf. So par is like a cow. So you take a cow in order to atone for the sin of the cow. And you also need to take elim shenayim. Two rams. Okay, those are the animals. Put that on the side. One pod and then two rams. And we'll see what we do with that in a minute. And now you need to take lechem matzot, vechalot matzot, belulot bashemen, urkikem matzot meshuchim bashemen, solid hetim, taase otam. So basically, the Pasuk is telling you over here you need to take lechem matzot. Halot matzot, urkikem matzot. Now that she comes along and explains that this is referring to three different type of baked uh, baked items. One is called lechem matzot, one is called halot matzot, and one is called urkikem matzot. Basically, they're all different type of matzot. Matzot. But what is the, um, what is the difference between them? So one is called, as she says, Revucha. So I'd like to teach you what is this type of matzah. How do you make a matzah Revucha? So that she says, you take uh, flour and you mix it with oil. And then you pour hot water over the, over the dough. Uh, so therefore it becomes, you know... Uh, cooked in a certain way, almost like a bagel, you know, where they put hot water on it, and then after they put the hot water on it, they bake it in the oven. So that's one type of matzot that you have to make. Another type is talking about where they um, they um, they put it in a pan, and they put some oil in the pan, and uh, they would like to say fry it. And that's it, it's called fried in a pan. That's where they bake it as well, in the pan. And then uh, another one is that they um, they make it with flour and water, and then after it's baked, they smear it with oil. So that's called likiki. So basically you have three different types of uh, matzot that, were, uh, that had to be brought again to the summer. So again, there's animals, and now there's matzot also. And they're all made out of flour, made out of wheat. Fine. And it says you should take the matzot and put them in a basket. And then you bring it on the Mizbayah with the three animals. Fine. That's the, uh, that's the law. Now, what do you do to Aaron and his children after he brought the korbanot? 
bring Aharon and his children to the opening of the Mishkan. So they have to wash. Now this is not a hygienic washing. This is referring to mikveh. So after you brought the Kurbanot, Aharon and the children, right away go to the mikveh. Now we start. They take the actual garments that we talked about for the past couple of nights. You put on the ketonet, the robe, the coat, and the, the apron, the breastplate. And you put the uh, the belt on, and they're going to put the, the hat as well. Sometimes it's nefit, they put the hat over his head. I don't think we learned it, but maybe you learned it last night. The seats, there was a headband that the Kohen Gadol wore across his forehead, and it said the names of Hashem Kodesh Hashem on it. So now Aaron basically is wearing all the garments. Now, we're not done with the ceremony. We're in that order, Rabbi? Yes, in, in that, that order. same order? That's, exactly. same order. That's, the, that's, that's the way they dressed them. And then it's now they take special oil. Uh, this oil over here is anointing oil, inaugural oil. And uh, they have to take the hand and they make a symbol on the uh, the forehead of the uh, of the Kohen. It's a, a symbol that she tells us. I'll tell you the symbol. Uh, it's like a chaf. They make the symbol like this, like the chaf. The Greek chaf. That's a, a certain shape that they make. I mean, they they they, they make the sign by the eyelashes of the of the Kohen. It's, a, it's one of the ways that we have to uh, inaugurate them. And at that point over there, after they brought the Korbanot, they brought the Matzot, uh, they dressed them, they inaugurated them with the oil. Then we do the same thing to his sons. Bring his sons, put their clothes on, the, the robe, Put the belt on. They put on the special hat. At that point over there, they become officially Kwanim. Now they have the responsibilities. You take the animal, the bull, and you bring it in front of God. Now before they bring it, they must put their hands over the pod. That's called Simicha. That's before they bring the korban. They shahata tapar and they slaughter it. But akhata midam apar. Now they receive the blood from the par, from the animal. And they must sprinkle the blood on the corners of the mezbeah. You see, here's the mezbeah. The mezbeah has corners. So they sprinkle the blood on the corners of the uh, mezbeah. Now there's leftover blood. What do they do with the leftover blood? They take the leftover blood and they pour it on the yesod, the bottom of the mezbeah, 
you can see a picture over here. They have it. You see, there's, there's a little, like a lip on the bottom of the Mizbeah over here. And th that would be like a, um, a, a, a receptacle where the blood you pour in there and it drains. It's called the Yasod, the foundation. So they would pour the leftover blood on the bottom of the Mizbeah. Now you take the fat from the Kurban, and what do you do with it? And you take the um, the different parts of the uh, uh, the liver, and you take also the kidneys, and you burn them on the Mizbeah. And then you take the rest of the meat and the skin, and the insides of it, to stroff. It's burnt, not on the Mizbeah, but outside of the uh, camp. And it's brought as a korban hatat, which is a sin offering. Fine. Now you take the ram. What do they do with the ram? I don't know, but I did They put their hands over the ram. They slaughter it. And they take the blood. And they sprinkle the blood on the Mizbeah. They take a vessel, the blood is in a vessel, and they pour it on the uh, on the wall of the Mizbeah, on the by the corners. Fine. Now, take the ram and cut it up into pieces. You clean the pieces. And put the pieces on top of each other, and burn it on the Mizbeah. It's a Qurban Ola. Ola means the whole thing goes on the Mizbeah. Now, you take the second ram, they put their hands over it, they slaughter it, and they take the blood. Now, this gets. Uh, little uh, strange to some of the people because you never heard such a thing. They take the blood and instead of putting it on the Mizbeach, they take the blood and they must put it on the earlobe of the Kohanim. So they put it on, it's called Tenuch Ozit. Tenuch is the, the earlobe of a Haron. Uh, which earlobe? The right one. And on the big thumb, right hand, the thumb, and on the right big toe. Again, this is an unbelievable thing here. We can't really explain the logic of it, but it's part of the inauguration. And then it says the leftover blood, you pour on the Mizbeah. And then you take from some of the blood that was on the Mizbeach, and you take from the special oil, the anointing oil, and you sprinkle Aaron and his children when they're wearing the Begadim, that brings the Kiddushah into the Begadim. Now, you take from the second ram the fats again, um, the uh, the liver part, the different kidneys, the fat that's on them, shokayamin, and the right, uh, the right leg, 
And it says, Ki ilmilu imhu. And this is brought as a um, as a korban. It's korban shilamim. It's called ilmilu imhu. It's a korban shilamim. Shilamim basically comes from the word shalom. I'll explain to you. There's three korbanot that we brought over here. We brought one korban hatat. That's a sin offering. That was to atone for the sin of the golden calf. The second is called korban olah. That was brought totally on the Mizbeach. And the third korban is shlamim. Now, shlamim comes from the word shalom because everybody's happy. Why? Because the uh, Mizbeach gets a piece of the korban. The Kohanim get a piece of the korban to eat and the owners get a piece. So it's divided by the three, the three parts. The owners of the korban, the Kohanim and the, and the Mizbeach. In this case, there's no owners. Aharon is the uh, you know, the owner. So Aaron and his children eat from the Qurban as well as the Mizbah. So there's, there's Shalom. That's what Ashi says. Shemisimim Shalom la Mizbah la Ovdeh Avodah la Ba'ali. So therefore, oh, and Ashi says over here that the Mizbah will get a piece, Aharon and his children will get a piece, and Moshe Rabbeinu gets a piece. So that is the three. The Mizbeah, Moshe, and Aaron's children. Nice. Now, now take the matzot that you made. Didn't we say you made three different types of matzot, the fried ones, all the other ones, and take a loaf of these matzot, and mitzala matzot um, that was in the basket, and place the matzot in the basket on the palms of Aaron and the palms of his sons, and they will make tinufah. Tinufah means they will lift it up, up, down, and across. So they have to make what's called a, a, a tinufah. Now, there was actually 10 loads of each one of these types of matzot. So 10, 10, and 10. So there was altogether uh, 30. And uh, now they have to put it on the hands of Aaron. And they, you make what's called tenufa. It says molich umevi. And then um, they bring up and down. And as she says that that ceremony actually gets away bad tragedies that might come to the world, bad winds, bad weather. It brings rains and, and, and things like that. So that's uh, another item that Kohen must do. And then. I just want to see one thing over here. Correct. Now, they take the matzot from his hands, and they put it on the mezbeach as well. Uh, and the smell goes up and gives God a pleasure. Now they take the hazeh, uh, the chest, uh, also they wave it up and down but this case will be this case they're able to eat so we said that the last korban was edible um, they'll eat this part of the animal that's a gift that they get. 
Whenever a this is a, this is a korban, by the way, that's not only brought on the day of the inauguration of the Mishkan of the Kohanim, but whenever a Yisrael would want to bring a korban, he could bring a shilamin, and as she says, the owners themselves will put their hands under Aharon's hands. So when he's waving, they're waving with him. They're like moving, moving the the motions uh, with him, and then. Aaron puts some of the animal on the mizbeah. He eats some of it and he gives the owners some of it uh, as well. And the Kohanim get the choice parts. They get the chest and they get the, um, the shok, which is the uh, the legs. Okay, that's the Kohanim. And then it says, so that's not only, uh, uh, on that day they actually brought a hatat, a ola, and a shilamim. But now the Torah is just telling us in general the Kohanim shilamim is brought in the bed of the Mikdash by people that want to bring sacrifices and Aharon will get their share. Not only does Aharon wear the garments, but his children will wear the garments. And any Kohen that takes over will wear the garments. They're passed down. And that's what makes them Kohanim in the subsequent generation, the wearing of the, of the garments. Shiva'at yamim yil bashem and it says over here that they wear the garments for seven days straight, which means when, when they nominate a Kohen Gadol in the future generations, this was talking about the first Kohen Gadol, this is what we did. The oil, the matzot, the whole ceremony. In the future generations, when you nominate a Kohen Gadol, he must wear the garments for seven days straight. Uh, and, you know, working. And the law is that if the Kohen Gadol has a son, his son usually fills his place, if he's worthy. Well, uh, you said the actual garments, they have to repeat to wear them? Yes. The same the second, yeah, the, the Kohen who has the son, let's say, so for them, how do they become inaugurated? They wear the garments for seven days, the Torah says. Those same garments, the Kohen gives it over to his sons, and they wear it, you know, as as, as subsequently. Uh, and the Torah then says, uh, last point, they take the korban, the last korban, and they cooked the meat. Okay, telling us how they ate the meat now, and they ate it in the holy place. Um, and the leftover matzot, because we said. They only brought a few of them on the Mizbeah. So they had all these 30 matzot. So what did they do with them? They ate them. But a stranger cannot eat them. Because only Kohanim are able to, um, to eat these uh, uh, items, because they're Kodesh. Now, what do you do if there's leftover? Let's say there's a leftover of the third Korban that they were eating. Or from, let's say, the bread. The, the matzot, actually. Other bucket, so they have to the morning to eat it. But let's say there was uh, leftovers. So what do they do with it? Set off top. They have to burn it. So they can't eat it, you know, forever. You know, it's not like Friday night leftovers where you eat it forever. Over here, at a certain point, you have to burn it. So they get to eat it that night, and then by the morning already it has to be uh, discarded. And you will do this, meaning like that. So again, this was a, a seven-day item. Wow, so I take it back. This was done for seven days by Aharon. 
Wow, so this was a seven-day process. Every day they put the clothes on. Every day the oil put on his head. Every day they brought the korbanot. For seven days they did this inauguration. Wow, that's a serious, uh, serious item. Again, the reason why they brought the first animal, which is the bull, was kapara. Uh, so they did everything. They brought even the um, the pod for, for for seven days. Fine. And then it says. Uh, they inaugurate the Mizbeach like that for seven days, and then the Mizbeach becomes Kodesh Kodeshim. And what does that mean? It becomes holy. So the Torah says, yikdash. that um, anything that touches the Mizbeach becomes Kodesh. So, what does that mean? That she says, Umayikidushato. That anything that's put on the mizbeah, the meat, wow, even if a korban, let's say, became unfit, but it went on the mizbeah, that's it, the mizbeah makes it kadosh. And therefore it has to stay on the mizbeah. Once something goes on the mizbeah, you don't bring it off. It stays on the mizbeah. Um, so that's a big kadosh. That means anything that goes on the mizbeah, it stays on the mizbeah. Fine. Okay, there you go. That's uh, that's the inauguration ceremony. Okay. That looks. Uh, we might have good news this week. We might. We have one more night. Right tomorrow. It's the night Wednesday. We have Thursday. We might be able to finish this perasha, a small one. Actually, only one hundred and one for scheme. So. Okay, there you go. There you have it. Welcome everybody. We're learning this for the Fuashlema. And we are towards the end of the Perasha. Yeah, not an easy one, very technical. But, uh, we have over here. Uh, the story of the of the clothes of the Kohen Gadol that we learned about. And last night we learned about the inauguration ceremony. Exactly uh, how they, you know, bring the certain Kohen and they bring the oil and they have to anoint them and sprinkle them and put the garments on them and they did that for seven days. So that was, uh, that was nice. Now we're going to start, we're going to read from Chapter 29, Pasuk 38. And these are the sacrifices that were going to be brought on the altar. Every day they brought two sacrifices on the Mizbeah. As long as it was a Mishkan or a temple, it's called the Korban Tamid. Tamid means the constant Korban. It was brought twice a day, Tamid. They brought one sheep in the morning. So that's called the Korban Tamid. It was brought seven days a week, 365 days a year. Even on Shabbat, even on Yom Kippur. 
That's the one thing in the Beit HaMikdash that never changed, the daily sacrifices that were brought in the morning and in the afternoon. Saron saw it. They also brought with it, saw it this fine flour, balul bashemin, mixed with oil, katit, it's shemin katit, it's pressed oil. Um, we know that Oil was used twice in the Beit HaMikdash, primarily for the menorah, for the candelabra that they lit, but that has to be first press. First press means the first drop that comes out of the, from the, from the olives, that's used for uh, the lighting, because it really gives a clear, beautiful light. But if you want to use it for the meal offerings, that was the second time you used the menachot. They had like these meal offerings that they would take flour and water, and oil and mix it up and put it on the mizbeah. That doesn't have to be first press. It could even be second press. But uh, you know, if they want to be stringent, you know, they can use uh, first press. So um, you know, in this case where it says katit, katit is first press. You don't have to do it, but the Torah says you can. You can be strict and use even first press for the uh, for the flower offerings, but you don't need it. <clears throat> They would also bring a certain measure of wine. So again, in the morning, let's say they would bring the animal, the sheep, and then they would bring a meal offering, and it comes with some wine. You have to imagine, it's like a, it's like a meal. God's altar is like a table. So when you have a table, you have a mezonot, and you have uh, some wine, and you have the meat, the main meal. So the same thing. And... Um, on the Mikdash, on the Mizbeach itself, I didn't show you the pictures of this, but they had like <clears throat> these, um, what are you going to call them? Um, like holes. And thank you. And you would pour the wine in these holes. They're called Sifalim. And the wine goes all the way down to the base of the Mizbeach. Uh, there were actually uh, two of them. And uh, one they would pour. Uh, water on Sukkot and when they would pour wine. All year long they would pour wine, on Sukkot they would also pour water. Uh, so now it says, they would bring the second animal in the afternoon. Just like they brought the first one. Same process. This was a daily, steady, fixed korban for the generations. And it was brought, Lefne Hashem, obviously in front of God, and that's in the temple where God meets and uh, speaks to uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Fine. It sounds like from this passage that, that God would speak to Moshe from the Mizbeah, from the altar itself. Although the awesome rabbis that actually learn like that from this passage. In the place where God communicates to Moshe, so they want to say that God communicated to Moshe from the actual Mizbeah itself. And some say um, no, from actually the the Aron that we learned last week with the cherubs that were on top. So different opinions where the sound came from. Anyway, Beno Ati Shama, the Bnei Yisrael, the Gdash Bechmodi. It says uh, God says that'll be the tent of meeting. It's called Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting where B'nai Israel meet, where they have uh, 
you know, uh, communications with God. And obviously God's kavod is there. That means God's presence was in the uh, Mishkan. It's an amazing thing. You, uh, you can go to a place and you feel the presence of Hashem. <clears throat> it will always be, I guess, like the Kotel, maybe. If some, some people, if you go to the Kotel, you feel a certain energy. Some people feel it, some people don't. But when you went into the Mishkan, it was, it was tangible. You felt the, the presence of God. God says, I will put my sanctification on the Kohanim. Uh, and my presence is going to rest amongst the people. I'll be for them a God. You will know that I am uh, your God. I should have said your time is with somebody that took you out of Egypt. And the reason why I took you out of Egypt is in order to rest uh, uh, amongst you. Now, Sandra is just giving me now a book that she bought for this class. We will use it again because there's more parashiyot about the Mishkan. I'm taking a quick look at it, and it's actually very nice. Sandra, good job. Beautiful, beautiful. Let me just show them one picture of something that uh, that we learned this week, just to give them a... Uh, where is that? It's hard to... Well, I'm, not, I'm not a, you know, uh, a tech guy. I'm a, I'm a rabbi that gets classes. Now they're putting me in front of Zoom, so I have to do all this extracurricular stuff that I'm not really trained in the college. The Kolev didn't train me to be a Zoom operator. They trained me to be a teacher and a learner. But now today you have to be a tech guy to request. But that's uh, neither here nor there. All right, let's let's see a picture of something. What, what did I want to show them now? The Mizbeah in the corners that we saw a picture of it and the intricacy, the cylinders and all the stuff. Yeah, that we saw on the, uh, I don't know, the more I look at this book, the more complicated it looks as I'm looking at it. <laughs> I thought it was a great book, but now I'm looking at it. Right. Competition right, develops character. Yeah, well, I have to look at it on, on my own time. I'll figure out how to use it, but thank you, son. It's beautiful. Ba'asita, let's just finish the parasha. Ba'asita, Ketoret. Now there's another Mizbeach, and this is fascinating. This is the Mizbeach called the Mizbeach HaKetoret. The Mizbeach that we brought the other sacrifices on is called the Copper Mizbeach, the Mizbeach HaNehoshi. Can anybody guess why it's called the Copper Mizbeach? It's copper. Yeah, very good. That's a good, uh, good thinking. So there's a, another Mizbeach that's called the Mizbeach HaKetoret. Now it wasn't made out of Ketoret, was actually a golden mizbeach, but that was where they brought the incense, the spices on. So there's a special mizbeach, mizbeach ketoret, where they brought the incense, and also the incense was brought every single day as well. Now, this maybe we could find a picture of a mizbeach and the smaller of the two mizbeachs, by the way. Here's the table. Here's the table. Beautiful. The showbreds. It's actually great. There it is. 
the golden mizbeach. The golden mizbeach stood in the Kodesh section of the Mishkan, incense made of a mixture of 11 different spices was offered upon it twice each day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. In addition, the blood of certain sin offerings was sprinkled on the golden mizbeach. These are called hataot pinmit. These are sin offerings that were brought inside because this mizbeach is in the inner, inner chamber. In Parashat Tetzaveh, which we're learning, the Torah commands us to construct the golden mizbeach. This stands in curious contract to the other vessels of the Mishkan, which are all discussed earlier. It's interesting. <coughs> all the furniture of the Bet HaMikdash was discussed in last week's parasha. The Aron, the Ark, the table, the Menorah. The only piece of furniture that's discussed in this week's parasha is this golden Mizbeah, which is a big question. Shouldn't have been discussed in last week's parasha. The Sephorno explains that golden Mizbeah was listed separately since its purpose was not to cause the Shekhinah to dwell in the Mishkan, rather it gave honor to Hashem when he descended to receive our offerings. The Surah notes that the Torah begins its directions for the Mishkan with the Aron and concludes with the golden Mizbeah. Right, it starts with the Aron, that's the first thing we learned at the Ark, and the last thing we're going to learn now is this golden Mizbeah. The di- the Directions for constructing the Mishkan conclude with the incense that was put on the Mizbeah, since it was the most important of all the vessels. Wow. The incense Mizbeah atoned and granted wealth and joy. Okay. And here it is. Here it is. We're getting our money's worth on the book. So again, it's an altar. It's got the poles on the side for transport purposes. And the ketorah was brought right on top. All made out of Gold. Pretty, pretty, pretty piece. So let's continue reading. Amma Urko. It's an Amma by an Amma. Basically, not that two, two feet by two feet in width and length. And about uh, four feet high. So again, not, not, not such a big structure. Two feet by two feet and four feet high. And you plate it in gold. Um, that's another vessel that also has a crown. You see, like on top, see on top over here, you have a decorative crown on top that goes around the top of the mezbah. That crown is called zev, zev zahav. There were two rings that were placed you know, under the crowns. Now, we know what the rings are for. The rings you're going to put the poles in. And the poles are going to be there for what? Transport purposes. They'll house the poles. These poles are made out of acacia wood. Acacia wood is a fancy word for cedar wood. Also, you plate them in gold. Now, um, uh, the uh, the poles actually. Uh, th- this was in the holies. There's two parts of the Mishkan. There's the holy of holies, which that the ark is in there, 
That's the only thing that's in the Holy of Holies, the Ark and the cherubs. And then there's a curtain. And outside of that curtain, it's called the Holies, not the Holy of Holies, but just the Holies. And the Mizbeah Hazahab, the golden altar, which is the contorted altar, actually was um, in that section called the Holies. And they would bring the ketoret, which is 11 spices. Uh, and I think in next week's Perashah, we're going to learn about the different spices. And they brought it early in the morning uh, at the time of the lighting of the menorah. So again, this is done every single day. Uh, they would actually clean the menorah in the morning because it lit the whole night. That's called Behiti Botana when they would clean the menorah. And at that time, they would also bring the ketort. Uh, and in the afternoon, when they would light the menorah, they would bring the ketort as well. So the ketort and the menorah go together. And that's why it says, um, when he cleans the menorah, in the morning, and when he lights the nerot uh, in the uh, in the afternoon, so he brings half the ketoret in the morning and half the ketoret in the afternoon. Now, you're not allowed to bring. This is a very important point. There's no donation. You cannot bring a voluntary ketoret. Let's say somebody wants to come to the Beit HaMikdash and he has this concoction of some spices that he wants to put on the Mizbeah. Cannot. I mean, if a person wants to come to the Mizbeah and say, I want to bring voluntarily an animal and put it on the Mizbeah. He can. You can't make donations when it comes to the animals. But you cannot bring your own ketoret. The ketoret is a fixed item. It's 11 spices. And only the kwanim are registered to bring the korban. There's no ketoret zara foreign or alien ketoret. Uh, Furthermore, on this uh, you don't bring any animals or any meal offerings. <clears throat> the only thing that you bring on this mezbeah is ketoret. And that's why it's called the mezbeah ketoret. It's exclusively for the ketoret. Okay, you heard that now. Now, on Yom Kippur, uh, this Mizbeach uh, also had some functionality to it. Um, they did sprinkle some blood of the sacrifices of Yom Kippur on the corners of, of that Mizbeach. It's called the Hatat Kippurim. We're going to learn about them. And that's atonements for different sins. And the last pasuk of the Perashah comes along and says, Kodesh Kadashim, HaMizbeach Mekudash, basically it's saying that the Korban, or this Mizbeach that we're talking about, this altar, is designated solely for the purposes that we mentioned, for Ketorah, to some sprinkling on Yom Kippur, and it's designated for... Uh, for God. And therefore, we cannot bring a foreign ketoret on it, or a korban, and so on and so forth. We don't pour any wine on that mezbeah either. As opposed to the um, 
Yeah, there's two mizbeahs. There's the there's the there's the copper mizbeah. That was the one that was for korbanot for animals all day long. That was being used that way. And then this one was just primarily for ketonim. It's called the mizbeah hazahav or the mizbeah haketonim. So yes, there's two. So we learned uh, the parasha. We did it. Uh, 101 pesukim, and uh, that uh, ends the week on a good note. And God willing, Rabbi, do we know, Rabbi, yes. do we know why, why the mizbeach was made out of gold? That particular one. Uh, <laughs> the the Gemara does say that uh, there was a miracle in that in that that mizbeach. It was a very fine plating of gold, very fine. And you would assume that all the fire that they had in the Mizbeah would eventually melt it away and uh, cause it to, you know, to burn the wood. Uh-huh. And it didn't. And it didn't. And they say that was one of the miracles in the Beit HaMikdash that uh, the Mizbeah HaZahav never, never got, um, you know, burnt. I, I'm assuming that's gold because, you know, uh, uh, just the beauty of it, just the beauty uh you know, aesthetically, it's nice. That in the Kabbalah, I will tell you, whenever gold is mentioned, gold represents judgment. Right, I guess. Silver, silver represents mercy. You take the letters for gold as Zahav. The Zion is seven, and the hair is five, and the bet is two. You see, the letters are going down, which right. represents something that's negative, seven, five, two. Kesef, which is silver, goes up. Chaf is 20, Samich is 60, and pays 80. So when, it, when you have a word that's in the trajectory of going up, it's, an, it's a mercy. And when you have a, 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 a name that goes down, that's judgment. And anyway, the gold is red, which represents blood. So it could be that the fact that it's gold and the ketoret could be has something to do with that. They blend together. There'll be mercy and judgment. The ketoret is mercy. And it blends with the judgment to sweeten the judgments. Oh, uh, very Rabbi, is there a to count the uh, to count the spices on your fingers? Oh, it's a great question. I'll tell you what Acham Baruch Shalom taught us. Acham Baruch used to say that when you count the ketoret in the morning, meaning when you say the ketoret, you're supposed to count asuri, asipotin, lachelbena, one at a time. But before that, he said. When we read the Pasuk in the Torah, which is next week's Perashah, he said, you have to say Samim, minimum, take yourself ketoret. Samim is two. Minimum of plurality is two. So we say, Ka'alicha Samim, go like this, two. Then count me hands, Nataf, that's one of them. Ushchelet, that's another one. Now you have five. Now the Pasuk says Samim again. Now Samim is corresponding to the five you have already. So Samim, put another five up. And then Ulbunaz Zakah, that's the eleventh. So again, Kalaka Sami, two. Nataf, Ushhelet, Bechalbena, you have five. Then it says Sami, corresponding with whatever you have, that's another five. Then the eleventh one is Ulbonazaka. So even when you say that Pasu, Kalaka Sami, Nataf, Ushhelet, Bechalbena, Sami, Ulbonazaka. He wouldn't use two, he would use the same hand twice. Kalaka Sami, Nataf, Ushhelet, Bechalbena, Sami, Ulbonazaka. Yes, there's a Nyatik with your hands. That's awesome. That's like Belebab Shalem. That's beautiful. Well, Belebab Shalem has to be Alan Sofa. The only one guy that knows that. Okay, the Portai. Rabbi. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Why did the rabbi say that it, it was mentioned in this parasha this time, this Ketoret? I mean, this. Uh, 
Mezbeach. Why not? Yeah. Why was well, it? Why, why, why isn't it mentioned? So he called, give me this book over here. I read it from the uh, Sephorno. Right, I didn't understand it. Yeah, because it seems that all the other, all the other furnishings in the Mezbeach are like necessary items for kapara. But the ketoret is more to give God pleasure. pleasure. It's like a different function. The other items like are mandatory items for, well, I'll say it like this. It's a difference between like a necessity and a luxury. The other items that we mentioned are necessity items to get atonement for kapara for aberot. But this is like a, a beautiful smell that came out of it. It's like a luxury item. So they're mentioned separate from the mandatory kapara items. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you. 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 Thank you.